Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb. I'm your other host, Daniel. And today's episode is brought to you by... Barbara Manatee. You're the one for me. A recurring sponsor. Uh-huh. It's great to have them back. It really means a lot that our sponsors put such great faith in us and that they keep coming back time after yep. time. I mean, a lot of sponsors drop because, you know, our listener base just isn't that dedicated yeah, to those types of things. True. But but Barbara Manatee came back and said that well, the response was Well, I think their ROI has been incredible. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Caleb, let's talk about your easel. Oh, sure. Yeah. I've. It's always been there. Yeah. But we've never talked about it. For the user, there is an easel in the back of my office in my camera. So you have like a closet sort of behind you. I do. Yep. But it's a closet with no door. It's sort no of like door. a it's yeah. a portal. Yes. It's a little portal to uh to a space. Yeah. And in that space, uh it looks like you've got some sort of like rubbermaid tub type of things at the bottom. Yep. Yeah. Um and then you've got this easel. Yep. And I've never seen you use the easel for anything. You've never seen me paint with it? You don't paint. I don't paint. Go on. Um, although, who knows, you know, give, give you, uh, you teach a man to fish, he'll paint for the rest of his life. Don't That's think I haven't wanted to paint a brook trout because they're so beautiful. But yeah. go on. Dude, you should get into like plein air landscape painting. What's that? It's like where you go out in oh in nature with your easel, right? And you just paint like you Quick know. How funny you come story. across a guy doing that every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a funny story about somebody doing that. Okay, good. So this past year, sometime we went to the Adirondacks and climbed Mount something I can't remember, Rocky Ridge, mm-hmm. Mount and, Adirondack. Yeah, and so this this climb is actually probably the most beautiful hike in all of the Adirondacks. If anybody's looking to hike, look up Rocky Ridge Peak. It's awesome. So you hike and base camp is like a thousand feet up. So you have to like pack in everything just to base camp. And it's super cool. There's like an alpine lake. So when you get up to base camp, you're a thousand feet up and there's this beautiful lake and this mountain in the background. And it's just amazing. It is like literally one of the most beautiful nature scenes I've seen. So we're there doing uh, cooking our food and mm-hmm. look over and I see this lady. She's like, you know, looks like a hiker late. Looks like Sandy Metz, you know, mm-hmm. like Sandy. I just ran into Sandy Metz and she's um, I look over, I'm filtering water and she's painting. And I'm like, this is the most idyllic thing ever. We're in this incredible place. You have to hike to get to it. And she's got this like she's got her little watercolors, you know, or like on a rock. Mm-hmm. And she's got this thing and she's painting and I'm like, just totally floored. It's so cool. Anyway, long story short, actually, there's no more to the story and it's already not that short. Mm-hmm. She comes back and we're all like looking at the painting and she shows us. It's terrible. <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> it's not good at all. Oh, and we had a Man. good laugh, but we're all trying to like be, you know, serious. And she probably like, I don't know. Anyway, imagine you're like i'm gonna good. learn to paint i'm gonna start by practicing on places that take a lot of work to get to. i know 
Oh, it was so funny because we thought it would be this like amazing experience where she shows us this painting and it's amazing yeah. and it whatever. Dope. But it's just looks and like a four year old painting. Like, mm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really nice. Uh, it's just a good twist. Okay, story over. Back to the easel. <gasps> oh, that is good. Yeah. yeah so why good? do you have an easel? Have an easel because um, it all started with this office has. <laughs> yeah, you're, you asked another one. I'm sorry. It was a warm summer night. <laughs> There's one window in this office that's in the worst spot, so one little sliver of this office gets really good light, right? Uh-huh. The desk, I I put it there at times, but it's a weird place to put, so I thought I'll oh, put you it... Oh, you use it to hold a reflector? Yeah. So I use a blank canvas as a bounce. Oh. And, uh, yeah, but then it's also seconded as when this, when the closet's in the background, if I put the easel up, it just, like, makes it less, like, just an empty closet, you know? Sure. You should put a whiteboard think, people on People think the it's easel. a whiteboard. Yeah, people are like, "Oh, and you got your whiteboard back there." I never see you use your whiteboard. I'm like, "Yeah, it's a canvas." Just a canvas, and the canvas you don't is even in the have shot a canvas well. on the easel right now. Oh, that's the canvas no. on the yeah, ground. that's the canvas. Well, so the thing is, my chin up bar is right above the door. Wait, jam. but you do have a whiteboard hanging on the wall, right above the canvas? No, no. What is a, that above the that's canvas? A painting Hannah painted. Oh, but I can only see the corner of it, which is white. Yep. So you could you could forgive my mistake. Oh, absolutely. I'd ask I mean, I had already. Would. I'd ask you would in this instance. <laughs> forgive my mistake. If I am to do chin ups though and not hit my knees on the easel, I have to kind of collapse it. And so, do you not, think not I put it back kneesel, up? Not hit your kneesel. My kneesel. Or my weasel. <laughs> on the easel. <laughs> oh, my weasel. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, good podcast. Great yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. that we so, do. Um, uh, I should fill in the user that I too commented on Daniel's background before we got on this call. Yeah. Commenting that that he has a new angle and he <laughs> jumped down my throat <laughs> and wouldn't let up about it's why it's not way. that different of an angle. <laughs> it's off by maybe like three degrees. That is so not true. Maybe 10. Dude, it's solid Tops 30. 10. 30 solid. Uh uh, oh my uh, gosh! Uh, 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 uh. Oh. How uh, how do you find yourself these days? Uh, very well. Um, I have a million things to talk about, so I want to make sure that you have space for all your things because I'm just. Oh, I'm talking about Linux pistol. real quick. Take your time, dude. Let's, let's dive in. So everything I would need if I was going to switch to Linux as my main desktop operating system, mm-hmm. all of those things exist. With the exception of hmm. Tuple. Oh. Um, but what? I tweeted at uh, at Rook on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. The man, the man himself, Ben Ornstein, and I said, Ben Ornstein, I see in a podcast episode in July, you said we'd like to build Tuple for Linux. And I was just wondering, are you actually going to do that or not? <laughs> um, I was like, I basically what I asked was like, is this something where it's like, yeah, if everything went perfectly and we finished all of our other many, many, many goals, then like eventually one day we might consider building something for Linux. Yeah. Or is it like, I'll, you know, I might just like schedule it for March and do it. Yeah. And he said, it's more the latter. So oh. who knows? Tuple for Linux might be coming sometime soon. Hey. And anyway, I've been thinking about switching to Linux. Um, why? Because I'm easily bored and because Mm -hmm. Linux is fun. So tell me, uh, 
this all started because of what I saw something you're getting into Haskell enough to config like a window manager. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're with me. That's um, that's it. So, well, it all started because of hacking. Right, it all started right. because of hacking and because I was doing a bunch of pen testing stuff and doing a bunch of like hack the box challenges and all yeah. kinds of stuff like that. So I was running Parrot Linux, which is, you know, Kali is like the hacker Linux. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Parrot is the new Kali. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was running Parrot and I was having a blast running Linux. Um, and I quickly hit that place where I was like, hmm, I would like to run like some real Linux because Parrot is kind of like a a toy Linux mm. distribution where it's like really just for this one purpose. It's not a great like desktop environment. And stuff. Gotcha. Okay. So I've always been interested in Arch Linux. Yeah. Um, and one time I even installed Arch Linux over a Thanksgiving break, but it was on a laptop I had bought from Newegg mm-hmm. for this purpose. I was like, this is going to be my Linux laptop. Um, yep. So I bought like a $400 refurbished laptop that was like pretty good. Yep. I was like, I'm going to make a good Linux laptop out of this. And I installed, uh, I installed Arch Linux on it. And then the SSD just like failed. Hmm. And then I had a really, really terrible customer, customer service experience returning this broken refurbished laptop to Newegg. And it took like three months. And by the end of it, I was just like, just give me my money back. I don't want a new laptop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I never actually, it was literally the next day that it went out. So I never got to use Arch Linux. I tried installing Arch Linux on a Raspberry Pi once. Yeah, it's so hard. I couldn't do it. It's so difficult. <laughs> I had to tap out. I yeah. had to tap out. I couldn't do it. So here's what you want to do, Caleb. There is an amazing project out there called Arco Linux, A-R-C-O. Okay. And Arco Linux is like training wheels for Arch Linux. It's like, nice. it is a four stage process with four different versions of Arco Linux that you can install. And the first one is like a fully functional, easy Linux desktop environment like Ubuntu. It's no harder to install than Ubuntu is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then each progressive ISO gets harder to install. Mm. and comes with less stuff by default but is like gives you more of that like arch linux complete customization complete control of your environment stuff Um, and so the goal is basically like every couple months you would just upgrade from like the phase one iso to the phase two iso when you're ready for a new challenge oh interesting oh okay i've been running like the fully like you know can uh, convention over configuration version of Arch right. Linux of Arco Linux, like the Phase One version that ships yep. with all this bloatware that I don't want, and blah blah blah. I've been running that for like three months, and I think I'm ready enough to take the plunge and move up a level where all it installs is a window manager and you know one other thing, and I have to go get everything else myself. Yeah, you know, and then you get to the one after that, which is like, okay, now I'm ready to use the live CD that allows me to build my own Arch Linux ISO. Yeah. That allows me to then have like my own customized version that comes with all the packages that I want. You know? So anyway, the goal is basically like you start with phase one and by the time you get to phase five, you are ready to just like install. Like you would have like a, an Arch Linux installation that is like the perfect Arch Linux installation for you. And can you step down without like wiping your 
hard drive and stuff every time like is well so you would wipe your hard drive but the goal is that you would keep your home directory okay like this is the Backed thing up or like, something or preferably just on a different partition right because you can carry your home directory around to any linux yeah, distribution. To any linux distribution so the goal is basically that you would like you would keep all of the configuration stuff in oh, your home directory badass. so that you yeah it's very cool Nice. Um, so anyway, I skipped the first version cause I was like, I know how to install a basic Linux distro. I don't need the first one. Mm-hmm. So I went to the second one, okay. Arch Linux or Arco Linux B. Um, and, uh, I got, I installed it. I installed Xmonad. They give you some scripts to install a bunch of window managers. They've Arco Linux basically publishes these scripts that are like, that install a lot of sort of common Linux software and then give you a sensible configuration for them. Mm-hmm. So like there's a script to install Xmonad, make it the default window manager, install, you know, some basic sensible configuration stuff. Yeah. So I went in there and that's just because if you boot into Xmonad without a configuration file, it's just a black screen. Um, and if you don't know the keyboard shortcuts for Xmonad, which I don't, like <laughs> you can't do anything on your computer. <laughs> Um, until you have a configuration file. So anyway, it gives you a configuration file so you can go in there and make your own configuration file. Um, so that's what I did. Is, was, is Xmonad a replacement for like, I, I don't, I'm not a Linux guy, so, but like Ubuntu has like GNOME that is the, that's right. like the GUI, right? Right. So GNOME and KDE are the, the main, uh, like, linux desktop environments right and there's other ones like mate mate and cinnamon cinnamon is one that's common anyway those are like so so xmonad is a replacement for those it's like xmonad is a replacement for part of those okay so those desktop environments do more than just what xmonad does okay um like graphics driver stuff like that kind of stuff. right and they also provide like uh like a set of tooling for user interfaces in other apps and stuff right so like like kde has a kde terminal or a you know a kde text editor or whatever and these are apps that are built with the kde tools to build anyway um xmonad is purely windows yeah so all it does is window management okay um so it's like everything has a window where should that window be? How should I control and arrange where those windows are? Uh, how can I, how do I open and close and maximize and minimize and resize windows? Yeah. Right. It's literally just how do I control these boxes on my screen? Yeah. Um, or in my case, on my many screens. Um, and uh, it's so cool. It's insanely cool. Okay. Um, so the confi- it's written in Haskell. So there are many tiling window managers for Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones you may have heard of are i3. i3 is big. Awesome WM, which is awesome window manager. Okay. Um, I don't know any. The only my little Q, foray Q-tile into window management was like the Mac window managers we talked about one time. Right. That's all. So here's the thing: on a Mac, you can grab your window with your mousey mouse and just move it around. Yeah. Right. Um. A lot of these tiling window managers have an option to allow you to do that. Yeah. But that is but not a default like, and no one ever does that. Yeah. It's like an anti-pattern, right? Right. In it's tiling like, window management. Right. So these windows in Xmonad 
don't don't have the top chrome. Oh. There are no close, minimize, maximize buttons. There is no window title. It's just a box with the content in it. Dope. And uh, you can, you know, set like gutters if you want like margins between your windows or something to show a little bit of your desktop background behind it. But can you use Zoom on Linux? What? Yes. Can you? They have like a, a Linux app. Uh huh. Okay. Um, and so you basically like um, you know how like people use Tmux and like they're just like opening panels left and right yeah, and they're yeah. just like tiling all these panels and doing craziness. Yeah. It's that, except it's your whole desktop and it's not just terminals. It's like one of those panels is Firefox and one of right. those panels is a terminal and one of those panels is Spotify. Yep. And uh, it's crazy. So there's basically a bus. So there's workspaces like there are in any OS at this point. Yeah. So like Mac has spaces, right? Yeah. Um, so there's workspaces. So you can assign something to a workspace if you want, if you want to have like layers. Yeah. Um. But then for each workspace, there's like a bus of windows that start from like zero and then like it's just an, an array of windows. Yeah. Right. And then you have a layout, which is basically take it's like a filter that you would like apply sure. to an array. Yeah. That determines how they're going to display. So oh. the first window. And so the most common one is uh, it's called the master stack layout. Mm-hmm. Where your left side is the master and the right side mm-hmm. is the stack. Okay. So if you open, you press uh, command enter and it opens a terminal full screen. Okay. Right? You press yep. command enter again, it splits the screen in half and the left side is a terminal and the right side is a terminal. Okay. You press it again and the right side splits vertically. So yeah. now it's one on the left, two on the right. Okay. Press it again, it's one on the left, three on the right. Okay. And each time you press it from then on, they just keep stacking on the right, but the one on the left never gets. Cool. Smaller, right? And so that's like the default layout, which is like a really good layout. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's all these other crazy layouts. Like one that I've been playing with a lot, which I really like it uh, for coding and stuff, mm-hmm. is the middle two-thirds of your screen is your first window. Okay. Then your second window's on the left and your third window's on the right. Second window's on the left. Or sorry, it's like the middle half of your screen. Right, the middle two-fourths. Yeah, the middle two-fourths, and then it's one-fourth on either side. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's it's like, so I just put my cool, VS, okay. VS Code in the middle. Yep. And then I can have like a Browser stack on the, left, Spotify a stack on the, on the right. right with like Slack and Telegram. Yeah, okay. And then a stack on the left with like a browser or something. Cool. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm living. Sweet. It's really fun. So anyway, uh, that's Xmonad, and there's obviously all these crazy keyboard shortcuts for like juggling things around reordering the list of windows mm-hmm. um closing windows switching layouts it's it's so great so you have there's also a basically a bus or a stack of layouts right okay. so yep. you have your default layout which is that master stack layout but yep. then you have a layout called monocle which is like only show me my first one yeah right and then you have uh one where it basically just does like like zoom tiling basically how zoom gallery view does where it's yep. just like just get Pretty everything much. on the screen as tightly as you can yeah you know so anyway there are um a million of these layouts and so you can just like uh set your list of layouts so right now i only have three which is the master stack the uh 
center and left one mm-hmm. and the only show me this one window yep. layout which means and it's command space to switch layouts which is the so great cool so i just command space command space command space and i'm nice. just like i'm so fast dude so you can like quick into focus mode quick yeah, into quick like into focus multi mode, quick, yeah. task mode it's so great quick into and like, then yeah, there's okay. a um there's a extension or it's not really an, an official extension i don't think but it's called xmobar so by default xmonad doesn't ship with like a top bar for your screen yep okay. like you have on the mac right um, but you want to see like your volume and your Wi-Fi connection and uh-huh. those things, right? Mm-hmm. So XMobar is basically a bar. Um, but the great thing about XMobar is not only is it like your like command utility bar thing, like it is on the Mac in the top right corner. Yep. Right. It's also on the left showing you which of your showing you like a list of your workspaces and which ones you're in. Right. Okay. Yep. So if I have three workspaces. It, show, it basically lists the three of them, which I right now have as like little emojis. Yep. Um, or a little like UTF ASCII icons or whatever you call them that aren't emojis. Okay. Um, and one of them's highlighted to show me which one I'm in, right? Yep. And then the middle of the bar is basically the command P palette from VS Code. Middle of the bar is the command P palette from VS Code. Word. Okay. Like so Alfred? it's basically, it's like Alfred, but it's like, it's like whatever. So you can like, run xmonad commands from there you can also do so like if you needed to do like a more complicated thing that you don't have bound to a keyboard shortcut in xmonad you could type yep. the command in there but Sick. you also by default it's like an application launcher like alfred or right right something like that so that's how you like do everything cool um which for me right now is command shift d um to open that thing okay. but it's like i'm i'm loving it dude I'm like, I can see how powerful this is because the config file, this is the great thing about this app. The config file is written in Haskell, which means it's written in a real programming language. Not, It's not mm. a JSON config or a YAML yeah, config yeah. or something where it's like, oh, they didn't think of this use case for me. Like, so now, yep. like literally, and <laughs> it's crazy. The Xmonad documentation is on the Haskell website. Like, this is like a first-party project of Haskell. And so it's, like, super supported. There's, like, these crazy, um, like, crazy APIs for Xmonad that have been built that, like, allow you, like, all of this wild access to all sorts of stuff. Hmm. Um, It's nuts. So, like, you can do stuff where it's, like, if I'm in a terminal, um, I can get like the so like the output of pwd would give me the current directory right yeah Mm -hmm. so like i can create a shortcut that does something that gets the output of pwd for the terminal that i'm currently in okay yeah and then it just has it and so then i can do something like open vs code for the current directory okay in a new window in xmonad so i could create a keyboard shortcut that's like if i am rather than having to do like code space dot yeah. Which is like what I would normally do, right? Yep. I can just create a keyboard shortcut that's like open VS code, pass it this argument, which is this directory that you got from the terminal of the window that you're in right now. Right. It's like you just do all kinds of crazy programming to like actually like make your computer do what you want it to do. Sweet. <laughs> which is like the promise of Linux, right? Is like, hey, what if you could just make your computer do what you wanted it to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, with hours and hours of 
time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the that's the trade-off. It sounds very interesting, but you have to be willing to do yeah. some stuff. Well, which and that's is, you know, and that's why like I'm not doing this for to work you. right now. You know, what are like, you on right now? I'm. I mean, for work, I'm just using my MacBook. Okay. Um, but I uh, I'm doing this on my gaming PC. Okay. So this is basically like, like a dual boot type deal. Yeah, dual boot. Okay. Um, so this is basically like my hobby OS. Sweet. So I'm writing like after work, like when I don't, when I know that no one's going to need a tuple with me and like I can yeah. work slow and not feel bad about it, you know? Yeah. Like the other day, like I had some leftover PR code review stuff to do. So I was like, I'm doing this on my Linux machine. So yeah. I went over to the Linux machine and I, you know, hopping around and like, I'm slow and like, because like control and command are different on some of my keyboard mm -hmm. shortcuts and VS code are kind of messed up. And, mm -hmm. you know, so there's like stuff like this that like I would need to fix if I was going to do this for real. Yeah. Um, but it's fun and I could see how it could work, you know? So. Hell yeah. And there are also like, you can give certain programs like you can do all kinds of stuff where it's like, if this is this program, like just automatically pin it to this spot and switch the view to this thing or whatever, right? Mm. So like I could I could say like, hey, anytime I open uh, whatever, like for example, like the settings app has these little small windows that are little panel windows, yeah, right? And I don't want them to be stretched to the size of my whole screen. Right. Like those are windows that I would prefer to have just floating that I could drag around with like a normal yeah. interface. And so you can do that. You can just say anything that comes from the settings app, don't stick into the grid, just float it on gotcha. top. Gotcha. Yep. Um cool. and so it's it's pretty cool. Yep. I dig, dude. Yeah. I'm that's cool. Having a blast. And Haskell's cool. Yeah. I started the little Haskell tutorial on the site. When I saw your tweet, I just like yeah. went and looked at Haskell yeah. a little bit. What's a Haskell? Yeah. And uh it's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I didn't get very far. It, so, it's pretty It's more straightforward than I thought. But then I hit something that I was that was like, like, it's like a normal expression, but it's not weird. And I was like, oh, this the, is the, weird. Like, I don't weird assignment stuff, maybe. Yeah. Where you the, have like, to functional like, assignment stuff. You have it's to like, like algebra. assign it. Yeah. It's, yes. It's very weird. Yeah. Yep. And um, I don't, you know, so I don't see it in like the broader context. So it just feels like a worse way to write an expression, you know? Right. I saw or one a, of these. Assignment, um, yeah one of these uh surveys a while back about like programming languages and stuff mm -hmm. and it was partly from like survey responses and partly from like github data mm -hmm. um but basically it was about like what programming languages people write at work and what programming languages people write in their spare time okay and P haskell is the language which the difference between number of people writing it at work and pe number of people writing it for fun is the higher. So the, it's the language where no one is writing it for work because yeah. no one's getting, no one's successfully getting paid to write Haskell, but so <laughs> many people are writing Haskell for fun. Hmm. It's like one of those languages where it's like, we haven't quite figured out how to make this profitable yet, but everyone yeah. loves it. And so they're just like playing with it and doing fun stuff with it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Sweet. But yeah, the assignment stuff is crazy. It's like, I mean, it's like, it's, the, this exists in a lot of functional languages, but basically it's like you, uh, you like write an expression that has variables in it Yep. and it just like solves. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Which is like wild. 
That is I, wild. I'm not like good at it. So like I couldn't like use that. Yeah, I don't I can't think in because, that Because like way to write an Xmode right config, I have not needed to do any of that stuff. I've just, you know, just like make some functions and call them. Yeah, yeah. You know. But uh but yeah, it's wild. Like you can just do crazy stuff. That's cool. Um I I've been writing a bunch of JavaScript and my JavaScript is becoming more and more functional. Always it's kind of like JavaScript. Hannah says that when she hears me say that because she went to full stack EU. So she kept hearing everybody say JavaScript. Um, but yeah, I, one of the cool things I found source diving, um, I think Vue.js that, that I actually needed and it was the perfect solution for. So if you create a function in JavaScript, Uh that function is an object. Yes. Like if you do type of, it'll say function, but you know, it's actual like, Right. I'm sure well, you like can't get the type of something in the that's prototype. not an object. Right. What's that? I said you can't get the type of something that's not an object. What do you mean? Objects have types. You can't get the type of something that's not an object. I don't understand. Because everything's an object in JavaScript. Right. But you know what so I mean? It, like like type of like gives you like a string. Right. But like, like if you think about it logically, or... you're saying like, give me the type of this object that I'm giving you. Yeah. And it'll say string or whatever it's a function in this case function but it's an object with the type of function right or with the prototype oh right 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 yeah 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 so yeah i wonder is that how it works like interesting oh so like at the top of the prototype chain the rootmost object is function and not object no i think it's just object dude we're gonna look we're gonna look. Uh, well, Here I we guess go. all objects are functions. Right? Opening up Chrome DevTools, let foo equal, and I'm just gonna do a little closure here, okay? And then foo dot uh, underscore underscore proto, or how do you? Just do type of foo. Well, type of foo is gonna give me the string function. I'm pretty okay. sure about then that. Then just do. Uh, how do you do it? Uh, I'm gonna do dot proto, and I'm gonna do dot proto again. And it's not giving me the actual like word, but let's keep dot protoing. All right, and then I got down to null. So what is this? So it eventually ends up at null. Ah oh, man, hold on. I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna go one up. Okay, and then in Dev Tools, damn it. So the goal here is that I'm gonna type this. Damn it. <laughs> so close. Hang on, everybody. Proto. Scroll down, scroll down, and I mean, it looks like an object. Like constructor, constructor has own property. Yeah, is it's got to be an object. Two string value of define getter. Like, define. Think about a function, right? Like a function is, it's got to be an object. Yeah, yeah, I guess what I was just like getting at is like maybe when you do type of, maybe it gives you a string of the rootmost like object type in the prototype chain you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. why like maybe like a string is just a string is the topmost thing but yeah. anyway this is not the case it's just extra weird behavior but functions are objects right and i yes. kind of knew that mm-hmm. but like any function you can just add properties to <laughs> and <laughs> like, add sub functions to what do you mean like have a property of that function be a function or what are you saying yeah yeah, sure. Well, like in inside of a function, you can just do another function declaration, and then you can. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is, like, if you say like let foo equals and then some function or whatever, mm-hmm. 
or if you just say it even makes less like if you do let foo equals this would be more intuitive so let's say you don't do that you just do function daniel Mm -hmm. open parens close parens brackets do some stuff so then you could call daniel parentheses Mm -hmm. and call it you can say daniel dot foo equals bar right and just have a property on a function which yeah well and that's why like so the way es6 compiles Mm-hmm. Right, like through Babel, like w- if you need to like transpile to like old JavaScript or compile yeah, yeah. to old JavaScript, yeah, like, like objects don't exist before ES6, right? Like or classes okay, in JavaScript yeah, right. don't exist, right? Yeah, yeah, so you can't do like a like class person, right? Right, right, and It'll then go back with, to with the properties old. of name. So what it does is it just creates a function, yeah, and then all of the properties of that class are just properties of that function. And all of the methods on that class are just functions defined within that function. So, you know, I should revisit. Like you should pre- just write, you should write a class in ES6 and compile and it look to, at the to old JavaScript. Yeah. And like, look at it. Cause like, this is, there was a project I wrote one time before I understood Babel mm-hmm. where I needed classes basically. Mm-hmm. And I just looked up how ES6 classes were transpiled, and I ended up just yeah. writing some vanilla JS implementation that was basically like the thing that those get converted into. Sweet, and it worked really well. Like, it's crazy. Like, you do a function declaration, and then inside yeah. of that, you do another function declaration, right? R- so, like, and those are the methods. I would do animal, and then inside that, I would do like get name. Yeah, and then I could do just do just like animal parentheses dot get name parentheses. No way. Yeah. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel. Interesting. Funny. So. You should look at, I don't, I got to go look at the Ziggy source code. Cause like I did a bunch of stuff with like objects and prototypes in Ziggy. Yeah. And so like, I just learned so much weird stuff about how JavaScript objects work. That's They're cool. so strange. I needed, so I, I'm uh in a project i'm working on i needed uh like you pass a callback into something that schedules it to like Mm -hmm. run when there's enough when there's like free processing power on the browser yeah and but sometimes it has i need it to run immediately like run right away so i'm like what's the api for this because i have this new concept i'm like i need a separate method called like run immediately or something Mm -hmm. I i don't like it it just didn't seem like flexible and uh, so I was just source diving, you know, view, and I ended up picking this up along the way. And I was, I remembered this use case and was like, oh, sweet. I could just d- declare a function, do that function dot run immediately equals true, and then pass that function into what is running it. And then the thing that's running it can check. Does this func, does the callback that they passed in, does it have the property run immediately? Then run it immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not a super friendly API for like a public thing, mm-hmm. but for an internal API, it's like, baller i yeah i was pumped yeah. about that hell yeah sweet yeah cool. dude so uh, that's really I'm, interesting now i'm thinking about like how to describe the thing that we were just talking about and yeah. i think what it is is like so it's not it's all about scope right it's all about like uh sort of like the the like this scope of javascript the like lexical this or whatever right yeah, yeah. and like I think the way you could talk about it is by saying like the dot notation in JavaScript, Mm -hmm. what it's doing is transporting you into the scope of the thing 
before the dot. So once you do a dot, oh, anything after the dot is being called on the scope of the thing before the dot. I yeah. don't know if that's true. But that's a really cool way to think but about it. But that's like a way to think about it. Yeah. Really interesting. Hmm. JavaScript is such a weird language. Why can't dude. there should be like, can you do like parent dot? Uh, you can access the parent. Well, how do you access just the outside scope? You know? What do you Like mean? if you do like let foo equal bar and then mm -hmm. in a function inside of like after that, let foo equal baz you know there are two different variables mm -hmm. right and sure. how do you access the parent foo so i think what you would do is when when you're defining the child function mm -hmm. this would be the es6 way to do it at least um when you're defining the child function mm -hmm. you would instead of doing a regular function declaration Mm -hmm. You would do a fat arrow function mm -hmm. so that you would be working in the other scope. Well, what I mean is, so if it's a regular function, I think with let, you would be able to access foo inside of it. I'm saying like if you register like one on top of the other, assuming your theory of like dots mean the context of the thing before the dot, mm -hmm. is there like a shorthand or some magical syntax that JavaScript has for the parent scope you know oh gotcha gotcha yeah like a dot dot or something yeah yeah that would be yeah, cool exactly dot dot, dot dot that would yeah. be cool that would be perfect good one deco i like that and you could just keep chaining dots to like climb the... right just keep climbing up and then you'd have to have some sort of like meta programming api where you could like generate a number of dots like programmatically like mm. say i want to say that like now here insert the number of dots that is the length of this array or whatever okay you know what I'm yeah saying? right 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 some way to like express the dots programmatically yeah 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 that stuff is so crazy that like the way that's one of the things that is like least consistent across programming languages is the like the idea for how you express syntax programmatically yeah or like things that aren't normally done programmatically right. how do you do them programmatically like the double dollar sign in php yeah, or like the ampersand or um, like st anything like that where it's like you need to access something or not. Sorry, not the ampersand. Um, or yeah, there's so many things, but like or any time that you would need to like, like, for example, calling an array. Right here. This is a great example. So there are so many. Um, like an object where the property name is going to be a variable, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, like a uh, person dot, and then it's like whatever the user input right. was. Right. Right. It's like programming languages handle that so differently. Totally. It's crazy. And like some of them have like array accessible properties. Some of them, like some of them you can use like bracket notation to like get at the properties of an object. And some of them right. you can't like, it's stuff like that where it's like, that's one of the least consistent things across languages. I love that the array access in JavaScript as oh, opposed so to the... You know, well, you know what? I love the PHP version as well, I guess, because the PHP version is almost more intuitive. Yeah. yeah. They, they have the benefit of that dollar sign that denotes yeah. like That's variable. Like, hey, we're talking about variables right now. Yeah. yeah. So you can do that double dollar talking sign about, thing, which about is variables. Like kind of what you would expect. Talking about, yeah, variable, variable. So, yeah. Decode. Variable. 
Um, so you've got a lot of stuff to talk about. I've heard people have been talking about all the stuff I have to talk about. Really? Who's talking? About talk. It? No, no. I'm just saying. I'm just hyping Dude, up. Everybody's all the stuff saying. Everyone's about. talking about it. Grayson um, Carter. His Oscar party is no longer hot. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't worry. Okay. Um. So virtual dom. Mm-hmm. I feel like Vita. we need to really tackle this V I need to at least follow up on your question that I don't know if it was after the show. I think it was after the last show, like when we were just hanging out. Oh yeah, like is Virtual Dom actually good? Yeah. I have an answer for you. Okay. No. Okay. So here here was the question posed to so me. So why by does Deke. React continue to use it? Is the question. That is a great question. So the question that D. Cole posed to me. So I'm working on a thing working on a new project sort of and this project doesn't use <laughs> this hypothetical project right doesn't use a virtual dom would you like to it, give this project a name um no okay sure <laughs> jingle bells jingle bells um so jingle bells uses um oh some a, a technique like svelte so uh-huh. for the user svelte svelte Svelte. So you got these JavaScript frameworks, and the, the whole got, thing is dime like, a dozen. They are dime a dozen. Who needs another JavaScript framework in their lives? You mm-hmm. got your jQuery framework, but it's imperative, so it's just kind of like a wrapper around DOM stuff. Yep, simple enough. Then you got this whole family of frameworks for the last million years that makes things easier in a lot of ways by introducing like templating syntaxes that so you can declaratively say like the contents of this span are this variable making things of, easier by making them worse <laughs> instead of saying like span equals this right yeah so um and all of these frameworks handle this thing differently they but they all have this common thing where you express a template and Somewhere, that has yeah. some outcome and you have to trigger the change whether it's like Vue.js just observes changes on data and uh, we're like React actually, you know, it's all sort of like imperative in that way, although I'm sure that's not the right word. I would get run out of town for saying you React sure is imperative, but like set state, you know, like mm-hmm. you're manually doing something that Vue.js does automatically. Right. So I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't matter no how. No one uses that anymore though. Yeah, I know. Use those those hooks that yeah. use state hook. Um, so... Um, but even with that, use state, you're given a, a callback that a you setup. run yeah. to to trigger that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so in React, you the developer does it in Vue, Vue does it under the hood. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's like an implementation detail. It doesn't matter. What these frameworks have in common is they have some template and then they have to have a way to update that template when something changes. Sure. So Vue.js, when it hears some change in the data from the observable, it re-renders the template um, and writes it to the actual DOM in your browser. Where so Svelte, it pre-compiles the template. Like, how do I? I don't even know. I haven't like source dove Svelte. But the idea is, I think we have to talk about Virtual DOM first. Do you want to explain Virtual DOM to the user and how it works in like Vue or React? Yeah, but I'm dumb. So let's see how I know, it goes. That's why I'm having you explain it so that I don't like skip All over right. stuff. No, All right. that, yeah, well, no I, Oh, yeah. I know you're a fucking idiot. That's why I'd ask no, no. that you would explain it so that when you get it wrong, I could. Still, I'm I asking see. the person who I hasn't see. spent all week source diving virtual doms. <laughs> okay. Because Here, you'll explain it better than me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, but yeah, yes, that's what, you that's are what it sounded like you meant for fucking sure. Fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the virtual dom is as such as I understand it. 
it's basically like this. It's like, okay, the user, the listener, the developer is going to do stuff to the DOM, right? And uh, there's going to be all sorts of operations. The data is going to change. And like the result of that is that the DOM would change, right? Um, it would be cool if basically painting the DOM is slow, right? Um, and like painting changes to the DOM is slow. And uh, it would be cool if we basically, before we like got serious and did anything real in the browser, it'd be cool if we could basically maintain like a mirror of what is in the browser for ourselves that has our own APIs that we can build for it to allow us to do stuff with it. And then as the data updates, we'll then update our virtual DOM. And then at some point we can basically just like say, okay, now commit this virtual DOM to the actual DOM, right? And so it's this unidirectional data flow where everything is updating, all of your data updates are updating your virtual DOM. And then at some point, the framework makes the decision to take what is in the virtual DOM and commit it to the actual DOM. Um, and there's all sorts of theories about why that could be faster. Um, and maybe some of those were true back in the day, but browsers have gotten better and some of those things are no longer relevant um but what i've understood was that it was like good because you could like batch up a bunch of expensive paint operations into one paint operation um and so you would have less paint operations on the dom um but then what i've come to learn by knowing caleb who uh wrote alpine and basically said that uh, virtual DOMs are bad and that I want to just do everything with the real DOM because the real DOM is actually fast. Um, what I came to learn there is that you have some overhead on the non-paint operations, right? So the paint operations, the virtual DOM is superior because, or it's, it's superior in the sense that like, if you are actually able to like batch paint operations. Yeah, it's actually not superior. Like, well, it all depends on how you look at it. Right, but, I know right. what but what I'm saying is like it's superior. It could be superior in the case where you're able to turn a hundred separate paint operations into a bunch of changes to the virtual DOM and then one paint operation. Not true. Not true. But not true. That's the answer to your question last week. Okay. So, but go on. So, yeah. But like, okay, so that's the theory at least, right? The theory is that like you could do that. I think that's more the misconception, actually. Okay, so that's the misconception. Yeah. Um, but then it does stand to reason that for other operations beyond the paint operations, that you would be introducing some overhead by maintaining this whole <laughs> parallel DOM structure. At the very right. least, you're using RAM. Right. You yeah. know, <laughs> like it, it can't be faster to just have an extra DOM. Right. Yep. So anyway, yeah. now you tell yeah. me. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted an idiot to, you know, explain. Yeah, I, just, I was just, all week I've been like, oh man, I can't wait till Friday till I can hang out with my moron friend Daniel so he can explain <laughs> virtual doms to me. Um, so really quick, I want to like step back for the user because virtual dom, I'm, I'm on a, the listener, a yeah. mission. Right, right, the listener. I'm on a mission to like, um, to make, to make virtual DOM not a scary word for people. I think that we, we call that demystifying. Yeah, I was looking for You're that gonna word. You're going to demystify the DOM. <laughs> yeah, the virtual DOM. Because, you yeah. know, like my yeah, introduction Yeah, you can't demystify the regular hearing. DOM because DOM's no good. DOM no good. Yeah. Why DOM no good? DOM lie. great, actually. Deke. That's a lie. Love the DOM. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. 
the uh yeah 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 because i i've said this a hundred times but like hearing evan use talks at laricon when it you know when he first started speaking and his talks my eyes would just gloss over and he would use this word virtual dom all the time and i'm like this means nothing to me and sounds like the most like rocket scientist thing that doesn't even matter to me what are you right. talking about because he was giving a javascript like core talk Mm -hmm. at a laravel conference uh, full of well there's at least one dummy Mm -hmm. in the audience you that is oh well this might have been before i joined gotcha okay 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 right right so there were no there were no (laughs) (laughs) so here's what the virtual dom is the virtual dom is a json object okay okay I imagine it was some sort of a actually, tree structure. Yes, it's an maybe it's an array. Actually, it's probably a, yeah, or it's an just array like an object, a of objects. Object. But basically, in the normal DOM in your browser, when you open up DevTools, you have an element, and so if sure it's a do. div that says like class equals foo, and then inside of that div is like bar, right? So sure, in the DOM you have a tag name, which is div. You have a list of attributes, which is, you know, key value pair of uh-huh. like foo and bar. And then you have the contents of it, which in this yeah, case children. is actually a text node, right? Sure. That's just says bar, whatever. So the virtual DOM is that exact thing. It's right. that exact just thing. Just like it's represented as a JavaScript object. Exactly. Represented as a JavaScript object where the key might be like name or something or type or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the there's a properties or attributes array of those key value pairs of the attributes. Mm -hmm. And then there's a children array that has whatever contents of it. And so this directly, I just think it's so cool that the, that like that's all that's unique to a Dom element. Like those are a Dom elements properties, it's name, it's attributes and it's children, those Mm -hmm. three things. And so JSX compiles down to that Mm -hmm. and views templating compiles down to that, whatever you're doing, it's just getting three things. So every node. In so a, okay. Go ahead. So is the virtual DOM just a? Here's the question: Does yeah. the virtual DOM provide a benefit beyond being a convenient platform to program against? Because oh. like I can see it being far more because con- we all know the DOM no good, right? And yeah. so because DOM no good, I can see it being pretty convenient to just like have a javascript object that you can do normal javascript operations against to like manipulate the structure of this tree like yes. is that the reason why it exists probably let's let's back before we get to the reason like i just want to be crystal and clear the reason is <laughs> you and the reason is um deke So your virtual DOM, you got a name, you got a list of properties, then you have children. And those children can be more virtual DOM nodes. And by a node, I literally mean a JSON object, like a JavaScript object, like nothing more than that. So that's what the virtual DOM is. DOS virtual DOM. Yes. When Vue.js renders your template, it creates. And that's why if you've seen like render functions in Vue, you can manually use that create element function or H or whatever. Yep. And do that yourself to build up this little VDOM tree. Sure. Um, and then its children will render themselves. And at the end of it, you get this big JavaScript object. And that is the virtual DOM. Cool. So then when an update is triggered, where in Vue, it's observing a change on a on a data object, or in React, you call set state or, or the state setter or whatever. Mm-hmm. When that happens, it triggers a new 
a new rewrite of the virtual DOM. So it has the existing virtual DOM, the old VDOM that was from before. And then after you made that change, it has the new VDOM that's the new representation. And the smart stuff, the JavaScript-y heavy stuff, is it goes through and it compares the two and it finds the differences. Then it takes those, it, it calls those patches. So each difference is a patch. And it takes those patches and pipes them into a machine, a renderer, that knows how to take the patches and actually impact them in the DOM in a browser or a native, you know, like iOS or something. Um, so there's like very discrete parts of this. And when people say virtual DOM, they usually like kind of mean all three, you mm -hmm. know, but there's like the virtual DOM, the JSON object, the diffing of the two, the patches, the patching of them, passing the patches into the renderer, which does the rendering to the target platform. Mm -hmm. And that is JavaScript frameworks. So the question that Decole and I kind of had, I, I'm, I'm like expressing how I'm skipping the VDOM and how you can just basically like it's useless kind of for yeah. my paradigm. And it's just extra overhead. And he's like, no, there must be something like that. Like React uses a virtual DOM. They wouldn't, if they could do something better, they would. Right. So isn't, isn't it better to have this virtual world where you can use JavaScript to find the minimum amount of changes and just change those things? Right. Or like batch the changes and batch the paints where, you know, whatever. So the answer is that, um, that no, it is not more efficient in that sense. It's a constraint that React has and Vue has where Svelte doesn't have that constraint because at compile time, Svelte goes, okay, this span tag that's set to this variable, I'm going to create a function that, you know, at compile time, a new function that knows to update the text content of this DOM element, you know? And so whatever. So Vue and React don't have the benefit of that pre-compiledness, you know? I don't know what you mean. Can you explain pre-compiledness to me? Sure, yeah. So, um, so Svelte, and in like, you know how Babel, like transpiling, you know? Yes. Like, it's like that. Like, Svelte, in that transpiling phase, like part of your build step, Svelte will take your template and it will deconstruct it into all the patches already, you know? Like, it's not going to do any virtual doming. It's just going to create a machine, like a custom JavaScript app for the template you just wrote that will do patches yeah and then it so basically th exports those as functions that it accesses when data changes or something yeah the functions are written based yeah, on the yeah, template yeah. it knows what to make the functions be uh-huh you uh -huh. know for example setting the text element of a node it can just be like this this dom node its text changes when this data changes mm -hmm. you know and so it can track all that stuff um so anyway, yeah, we're React and Vue. So I started digging, and so Richard Harris, the creator of Svelte, he did a blog post on, like, that's the title's, like, Virtual DOM is Unnecessary Work mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and it was very bold and basically is, like, don't think that the virtual DOM is a fancy word that means my thing is fast. Mm -hmm. Think that it's totally unnecessary work that Svelte doesn't have to do. And, and so faster. React and Vue are constrained into having a virtual DOM because they need to support JSX. Is that it? Yeah, I guess. I mean, you could probably use, you could probably take JSX and create some pre-compiled renderer thing. But uh, yeah, I guess they're just because- so Why has nobody they, done that? I don't know. Maybe the React community is so big and there's so many smart, like world-class JavaScript people floating around in that community. Why haven't any of them built this thing? Well, so here's the, the thing. Yeah. Two things. One thing, um, there is a framework I just found. I forgot the name, 
but it's like similar promises to Alpine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't use a virtual DOM. It works very similar to Alpine, except it's more JavaScript. -y. It uses JSX and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like along this Svelte Alpine line. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which is pretty cool. But it's it looks and behaves like very much like React. It's Alpine for people who haven't embraced the back end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Front end um, Alpine. Yeah. Uh, and then the other answer is, so I was digging around on optimizations to virtual DOM algorithms and Dan Abramov, people are like, so Dan, if we can do better, why don't we do better? Mm -hmm. And he's like, so in reality, folks, they're like, why does Preact exist? Like, why can't we just make React faster? Uh huh. And he's like, so folks, the things you're complaining about are like 99.9% .9 of the time, not performance holdups in a real app. Your app code is a performance holdup. Right, right. So React is like very focused on doing crazy things like new React um, concurrent mode and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, they're basically like, let's make it easier to write better code so that your app code doesn't make it slow. And well, the thing that React will offer that is pretty cool is concurrent mode is going to be bonkers. Mm -hmm. And right now, React Fiber exists. Um, React can be super smart because it's all VDOM'd and they can just use like JavaScript to be really smart. They keep track of like, they do, oh, they do so much insane stuff that I'm not gonna be able to verbalize. But basically every, everything you do is work. Like every JavaScript thing you're doing is like an item of work. And so if you need to, if they crunch the VDOM and know that they have to update a text node or something, that's a unit of work. And that goes into a scheduler with a priority. Mm -hmm. and react all react work react prioritizes and knows what's high priority and what's low priority and they can run through the work and they can interrupt the work for text input uh stuff like that um they, they can do wild. all sorts of stuff uh and they can do cool things like with the new react um suspense they can like if they know you're fetching data from an ajax request they're like, all right, you're already waiting for a network request. You don't care about like your render being a little slow, you know? Mm -hmm. So they'll deprioritize that when it comes back. So it'll be like lazy work to render. Oh, so anything that's a response to an Ajax request gets deprioritized because it's, like, it's like, well, yeah. this was already asynchronous or this was already yeah. like waiting on something. So exactly. It can wait a little bit longer. Yep. So it has it's this. So smart. So you can source dive all this stuff and it's actually not that hard to wrap your head around. There's literally like, it's actually super duper cool. Um, I started walking down this road because on dev, what is it? Web.dev, the Google like blog thing okay. for the Google like Chrome developers. There's this really cool article about this new API that's in JavaScript, in Chrome, the new Chrome, mm -hmm. and in like nothing else, no other browser and no other version of Chrome. Okay. And the React team got it in. Like this is the first like React Chrome handshake. Yeah. yeah. And you know request animation frame? Yes. Like and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, request idle frame, like stuff like that. It's a new one that it's like actually it basically it's a way to just ask the browser if there's user input happening right now. Huh. Like if user input is waiting, if the browser is being is holding up user input like in a text box. Huh. Because if you have like a while loop that's infinite, you can't type into a text box. The browser's frozen. Right. You know? So if you in that while loop, if you had an if statement that was like, if input is waiting, then break the loop and continue it, 
you would get to type freely and the while loop would just be running in the background. So this is at the core of React in the future. Um, and my new project uses it in the same exact way. And it's so cool. Oh, wild. Yeah. That's but cool. It'll only work on like that new version of Chrome. Oh, that's sick, dude. Yeah. But yeah, so that's a long story. So, okay. About so here's dumb. a question. <laughs> yeah. So one thing you said, which I wanted to like come back to, yeah. but you just kind of blew past it pretty quick. Sorry. was like, you said, because React is crazy and all VDOM'd out, yeah. they are doing all these crazy things. So, yes. so that's a trade-off, right? Is like they are getting some benefits from being virtual domed there. It's hard to say because I can do the same things for my project that okay. doesn't use virtual dom. So uh -huh. I'm trying to think like, huh. but you know what? It's so hard to say because I don't understand React Fiber. I don't React, really understand you ever either. heard of that? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. I don't really understand it either. It We're takes up like half of React's code base, <laughs> or at least the the number of files that say fiber in them is. Yeah, ridiculous. I haven't written like new, new, new React in a while. It's crazy, and it actually makes source diving their whole like VDOM diffing and patching process like almost impossible. Huh. But and it, there's like there's articles and tutorials online to understand fiber at uh -huh. a like core level. I still can't do it. Caleb, <laughs> here, let me, let me say one thing. Please do. Unopinionated projects are not good. Hmm. You should have opinions. I say this as a person who literally just like installed Linux because it's so unopinionated <laughs> and I can do whatever I want. But like, okay, here's the thing. React, here's what I actually mean. React should be a more opinionated project. Um, Interesting. And if React was a more opinionated project, I think the community would be so much healthier. Interesting. Um, because they are hmm. fundamentally, they have no control over the messaging. React LLC, you know, <laughs> Facebook.com okay. um, does not have control over the messaging. So if there are like new priorities or whatever, they are not broadly communicated to the React ecosystem. Hmm. Um, and they should be. So like hmm. stuff like this, like React Fiber or whatever, it's like anytime there's like a major change, like, oh my God, contexts. React has context. Yeah. You know about context, right? Yeah. So context, do you know that there was another React feature called contexts before that did almost the same thing, but with a completely different API? No. Okay, well, there was, and it was terrible. Um, so there was something called React Contexts, and then it wasn't good, so they got rid of it, and then they created a new thing called React Contexts that did almost the same thing. Okay. Try Googling about that. Um, try, like, try learning contexts. And seeing two different things and not realizing it. Yeah, and getting answers about the first thing in one Stack Overflow and answers about the second thing in another Stack Overflow. It's terrible. Um, yeah. The... Uh, hooks stuff all of the documentation is so you could do this you could do that like it's very unopinionated you know yeah yeah and if it was more opinionated and if it was a little bit prescriptive about code style and was like a little bit prescriptive about like hey you should name this method this mm -hmm. right and it's gotten a little bit better with like the hooks and stuff like 
you can technically call your setter function anything you want. Right. But a convention has arisen that you call the first one email and the second one set email. And yeah. that is just like a convention. And it, it happened because they wrote examples in the documentation that had it that right. way. And so now that's yeah. what people do, you know? Right. But React, I just like, because it's so unopinionated and because they like generally are so hands off and let the community just fill the gaps with other open source projects, you yeah. know, like the, the messaging about the best practices is completely non-existent. And hmm. so like, here's a great example. So I talked about this a lot. I actually started writing this post when I was at Titan and never got published. Cause I left Titan in the middle of writing a series of blog posts about learning react in 2020. Okay. Um, but, uh, there are so many intro to react tutorials from mm -hmm. back when you used to have to use set state and stuff. Yeah. And like when you used to write like non-functional class components. Yep. And then there's a bunch of tutorials on how to migrate from old style Ra react to new style react. Yeah. But it was like a year of everyone writing new style react and no one had written a good, Hey, here's how you do react development that didn't reference the old style that no one does anymore, right? Yeah. So like every single beginner tutorial for React was teaching you the old style and then saying, if you want to learn the new style, go learn the new style. So if I'm a brand new baby programmer wandering into React, it, the ecosystem is just so fractured and so bad and the documentation was so confusing because yeah. they had to document everything or else everyone would get mad because we're unopinionated, blah, blah, blah. And it feels like the same thing here I forget what it was that you were saying that you didn't... Oh, Fiverr. Fiverr is a perfect example. I know... Here's what I know about Fiverr. I know it is similar to like the transition to hooks or something. It is one of these like seismic shifts in how people are doing React development. I Not know really. It's a, mostly under the hood. Is it? Yeah. Okay. What am I missing? Like, I feel like I've heard a Dan Abramoff talk uh at at the react conference yeah i don't think it really impacts it. the api like okay or maybe um, it, maybe he built it to support things that were going to come to the api i forget so well i guess the new thing that maybe you're the is tree the you're parking mode. up is concurrent mode yeah, which yeah, yeah. i with fiber is, is like laying the groundwork fiber? for okay yeah, yeah, yeah and they use it as kind of a it's like a catch-all statement for like suspense uh -huh. is, yeah, I know about is, the suspense API, yeah. Like, that's going to be the thing that people are going to, like, touch the most. Mm -hmm. But concurrent mode, like, also has all this other internal stuff that you won't really touch, huh. including fiber, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like this whole, the whole communication on this has been really scattered. And maybe that's because I'm not, like, a day-to-day -day React developer. So maybe yeah. I'm just not paying attention to the communication as much. But, like, it seems like something you could communicate better. Yeah, I I think I agree. I I'm also super biased because right now I'm in a React lovey dovey phase. Right. Because because uh, I'm like really like digging into it and finding yeah. a lot of gold. Yeah. Um, but and I'm I'm reading the messaging, and the messaging is like we are super opinionated, and we're not gonna shake on that, and that's why like your pull request or your feature, whatever, like it's probably not going to get let in. And that's why we like that. They have a reason for naming their things really badly, mm -hmm. which is so funny, but you know how like, like my first will receive update or something. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's so 
ridiculous that I'm like, this is so ugly and so against my, my programming desires. Mm-hmm. And, but, but the, the reason is that Facebook's code base is so huge that they want react core code to stand out from application code. Like that's why that's the reasoning for making react core methods very like verbose basically like they literally address it specifically like this is why react is ugly (laughs) so that you can tell the difference between app methods and there will be like likely no collisions you know huh interesting that's the reasoning so they're they're super opinionated and like they have messaging for all this stuff which is really cool to like read and get inside their head and and they're even deliberate about like why like because you would think okay, everybody uses React, everybody understands these classes, and then they do this fundamental shift where it's like a completely different framework, mm-hmm. like completely different. Mm-hmm. And now they're dealing with like two projects and one of them has conquered the world and the other one is going to, And but they're like 50-50 in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and there's uh, apps that are using both kinds of components. And Yes, right. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of, well, part of the React philosophy is that um, React components should be isolated like each component you should be able to mix and match components from completely different code bases Mm -hmm. um but uh i'm saying this to say uh oh the philosophy of like they don't want to get left behind like they want react to continue pushing ahead and finding the best way quote unquote Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and classes have just you know held them back so they're they're moving past it which is so cool to me i'm like i get that like they had to do hooks because they would stagnate and, you know, and I'm yep. with it. And yep. writing, seeing a little tiny function that's just in charge of everything for a component is it's so, so cool. beautiful. It's amazing. The first time you write, like the first time you take a uh, class component and convert it to a function component, you feel so good. We had, um, we had a really big and fat uh component that did uh algolia search stuff mm-hmm. um and uh i don't know six months ago or something i converted it to like a functional component with hooks and stuff mm-hmm. felt so good got so short it was such a long file and like all of a sudden you like first of all you don't have all these different hooks now uh like you can just like yeah. or all these different like life cycle methods you right, just yeah. use your get hooks right you do it so that just saves you 30 lines right there you know and then uh your state declaration stuff is so much cleaner everything's just so much cl- so much less boilerplate it just feels like the the dream of the 90s is alive in react functional components because they the the dream was always like it's just javascript it's just javascript it's just javascript right yeah and it never really felt like it's just JavaScript. Right. You're it's like, just JavaScript with our API, you know. Yeah, well, right. And it's just JavaScript extends React.component. And I'm like, what yeah, the right. fuck is in that? Like, yeah, yeah. there's got to <laughs> be some crazy shit in React.component. Huh? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's brilliant, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but, you know, we can all pretend it's just JavaScript up here on the surface, you know, yeah. in, in user land or developer land. Um but uh listener land um but uh now with a functional component you're like oh i'm seeing it all yeah right like Like this is it this is a function i just declared a function function and then i returned a string 
Yep. And like, whatever. And like, oh, similar here. Here's here's your object functions as objects things. This is how people. This what a React component is. It's just a function with more functions in it. Yep. Like that's your React component methods and stuff. That that was sort of the key to understanding hooks for me. Was and I for anybody who cares, it's like, oh. Like use effect, what in the world? Like why is this a lifecycle hook? Like I'm supposed to use this instead of the mount thing or component did mount or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm supposed to use this instead, but it can do everything and whatever. But here's the key to understanding: is a functional component. Like in your class, you have a render method. The function is the render method. Yeah, it's a class component without anything else. Right, and so it's just a return statement. It, like you're just yeah. returning something from the function. Right. And so if you think about it, okay, every time my component needs to change, needs to re-render itself, everything inside of the body of this function is going to get called. So you can't just assign variables. They'll get wiped, you know? Mm-hmm. Every time they'll be reassigned. Mm-hmm. So you need some hook to 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 make your your component stateful. You need mm-hmm. a hook to be able to Well, you can escape. just assign variables, but you just need to understand that they're they're throwaway variables right you just have you have to have the mental model that this function is going to it is the render it's method. ephemeral yeah it's going to rerun every time so the do, thing don't updates. do anything stupid yeah. yeah exactly and so so that's where use effect comes in use effect is just a way so this is interesting ah use effect all it is is taking the code inside of it and deferring it until after the thing returns itself and actually renders so it's like, right? Does yes, it is. Yes, cuz like use there's use layout effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Which runs after the component so, returns but doesn't paint yet, so that you can affect stuff before it paints. Before the paint. It's like a really high priority update. That's pretty cool. And that's something that you couldn't do without a virtual DOM also. That's a thought. What do you mean? Well, like couldn't or maybe you could. Could you? Totally, bro. What are you All looking right. to do? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you looking at? what you're trying to get into <laughs> um. so decal never mind keep talking so this use effect thing all it is is like whatever's inside of it is going to happen after the render so that still doesn't help you with life cycle you're like all i want to do is get something to run at the beginning and never again mm-hmm. and so that's that sneaky little second parameter mm-hmm. this this is bad api it's great api but it's horrible it's great you know? once you know it it's just undiscoverable as fuck. yeah it's but seriously once you know it like, it feels so clean. they are the ballsiest dudes in the world dude you know what They're the like, craziest oh thing gosh. about about um can i explain use effect to the yeah, user yeah. first before you explain. go on so use effect you pass a callback and whatever code is in there will run after the function thing runs uh-huh. returns your stuff and renders in the dom but you can optionally pass a second array a second parameter that's an array of dependencies right so if like inside use effect you use some variable mm-hmm. like a state variable or whatever if can, that changes if it changes use effect it will use effect will only run if that thing changes right so if you declare dependencies then yes. use effect will only run if one of those dependencies changes right and which means you can do multiple use effect calls for different dependencies and stuff like that right and you can pass an empty dependency list so that it only runs once right and that is the hidden as fuck stuff that's like what like that was like it, like once you like, get it you're like oh yeah i'm a genius i know everything <laughs> yeah exactly totally and, and also the cleanup stuff is insane 
the use effect cleanup stuff. Right, they're returning the return. And you're I, like, this I, is what happens on cleanup. And it makes absolute sense why it works. You know? Yeah. But it's just like, it's so unintuitive. And it's the, and it's a the mirror. first time you need it, you're like, what the fuck? What do you mean I yep. just return something and then that gets executed on cleanup? Like, oh, that's fucking obvious, huh? You know? But then once you start using it, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, it's just calling what I'm returning. And if I don't return anything, then nothing happens. Yep. If I do return something, then something happens. It's actually beautiful. It's like, amazing. It, it's, a, it's a mirror of what's in use effect. Like, the return to callback is, like, queued up yeah. and will only run when you've triggered a new render. So similarly, if you want it to be like, only run this thing when the component unmounts, meaning like you've changed the component completely, not just updated it, Mm -hmm. then you would, what would you do? You would just, the dependency list would just be an empty array and the sole body would be a return to callback? I think so, yeah. And then that would, so they've accomplished like every lifecycle hook with one hook that has nothing to do with lifecycle hooks. It's like you can use this for so many things, including all of the lifecycle hooks, which is it's so yeah, it's totally so nice. wild. It's absolutely um, bonkers. But all of these things are so like difficult to reason about if you're not like in if on you, the, yeah, if you haven't like the sipped the DMT cactus fluid of React thought you know? patterns. <laughs> it's crazy. Like I am so not ballsy enough right now to like rewrite my stuff and make like pure apis that They're, achieve everything in our and like, like it's so terse <laughs> like all of their apis all their new apis like since like the since the hooks era right all their new apis are just like terse and concise and like do weird shit like this where it's like just pass an empty array and then like you know like if laravel or Vue did that there would be like a a fluent method called like you know respond to changes on within or, or, or whatever you know like most frameworks would do it that way you know but react is just like eh, like we're just going to be incredibly terse like the language gives us the ability to return things so we're just going to use that as a feature <laughs> right like it's crazy Here. the it's just crazy how terse and tight everything is and like how neatly it all lines up if you are like having the particular psychosis of like thinking and react the uh i think that here's what i think i think that current react wouldn't have taken off if it was starting react oh no because way. it's so it's bonkers and weird yeah. and yes because it's unlearnable and no one would want to learn something like that but because like it had this big on-ramp and has evolved, like now we can all get on board. And I think this is the thing of React is like, it's cool and awesome and you can get on the bandwagon, but you have to like grow with it and you have to learn how frameworks work. And this is like, what I mean about like the communication being bad is like, I think that that's a communication problem. Like, I think that they, because the majority of their users did grow with it, um, that's the type of communication they're doing. And so right now, if you want to get into React, you kind of have to start at the beginning and work forward to really understand how we got here and why we're here, right? But what they need, they, they, I keep talking about like React in psychedelic terms because it is a very psychedelic experience to be like good at React. Mm -hmm. um, but like 
like they need some sort of a spiritual messenger for react who and dan abramoff kind of is doing the job but i don't think i don't think he has the yeah he's the guy but i don't know that he can communicate like taylor can he's like the best communicator right but i don't know that he can communicate the like the inherent beauty thing like i think like he's really good at explaining like why you would want to do this and like how it works and you know those types of things but like i don't think that he can make people see the matrix i don't know man have you gone through his just javascript stuff no it's like some of the best content oh maybe i will go back to that ever no, I've really only heard him talk in conference talks when they're announcing okay. new features. So maybe that's why. He's just a really good communicator. If anybody's, but, but I, so I don't necessarily agree, but I totally agree. Well, that, you probably that just the, seen more stuff than I have. Yeah. That the messaging is like, you know what? I don't even know. I'm I so the like not in React. The messaging leads know. you to the conclusion that you need to grow with React to understand React. For sure. Because the messaging probably as an accident of history um the documentation still talks a lot about the old way of doing react even as it's leading you to the new way of doing react it's just so much more hardcore than anything else yeah. like like view users wouldn't stand for that because they're i don't know like maybe they would in the same way that you know you, you could grow with view eventually but like react lets you into into its world of like where we're headed and the things we're working on and there's tons of internal documentation they have an entire section on their documentation that explains their virtual dom diffing algorithm and it's so nice like you can read through it and it's things that like i've tried to explain because it's how morph dom works it's the exact same algo as morph dom and the new morph dom i'm writing mm-hmm. at its core it's not deep enough like i wish it was deeper but do you already tell the had you previously told the listener that you were working on a new Morphdom? I don't think so. Or did we just talk about we, that privately? We talked about it at some point. But was I it think. privately or publicly? I don't know. I don't know. But, anyway, um, well, don't, just let but it yeah. hang. But there's literally an entire page in their documentation. And I'm like, this is so deep. And I can't imagine, like, this isn't useful for people who aren't, like, writing <laughs> who frameworks. Aren't you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, thank you guys for doing that. That's yeah. awesome. And if you go along with their thing... If you like get into it at a deep level, uh-huh. then the skies start to clear. Yeah. And then you're like, oh boy. Well, right. And that's kind of the thing is that you have to kind of like fully commit, shave your head, drink the tea. Exactly. And then you can like, then you can like have the experience, you know? <laughs> totally. I'm just saying like, I don't know who is, no one is telling people who haven't, they need an, I, I think if people are going to keep getting into React for reasons other than like it's the top skill to get a job with in the world. Yeah. Period. Um, for everything. For anything. Yeah. It's like there are more React jobs than any other kind of job in the yeah. world. Um, like. But if people are going to get into it for and want to get into it, you know, like mm-hmm. I think they're going to have to do some communicating about like what life is like on the other side a little bit mm-hmm. to the people who aren't already there. Cause that to is bring what, you up to speed. Yeah. Cause it does seem like there's a big wall to climb 
from I don't know react to I am having like weird tantric orgasms thinking about the fucking <laughs> thinking about the I'm having asynchronous orgasms <laughs> um with like concurrency mode or whatever um but like it it just seems like it seems like no one's communicating that like weird inherent beauty to the people on the other side whereas it seems like Laravel does a really good job of communicating that. Like, I think even if you didn't know Laravel, you would know that Laravel has this aesthetic about it where they really deeply care about, like, the feeling of writing code and the the APIs, you know? And React yeah. doesn't communicate that at all. Interesting. I Yeah, I, like... But they do care. Like... They do. It and is so obvious in, like, that, uh, that use effect hook. Like... It is so obvious how much they deeply care. In their like React principles or whatever, yeah. something on their documentation where they list out like all their beliefs. One of them that they hold really strongly is like, we believe in like great APIs and we'll go to great lengths to achieve them. And we're not as concerned about internal code. Like we will do, we will hide the yuck, which that's what, you know, that's what I try to do. That's what Laravel does. But you wouldn't think, I didn't think that React did that. I, yeah. I guess it makes sense that they do, but I wouldn't think, like, on the surface, you think that they're, like, like that bare they're metal. 100%, yeah, bare metal. Like, we are committed yeah. to bare metal. But right, that's and that, not the that's, case. like, the implication of, like, it's just JavaScript, right? Is that, like, we're putting nothing between you and this 1,200 power 1200 horsepower engine of javascript that we're giving you right like yeah. you have direct control over the beast you know yeah. which is kind of true but like that's there is like a lot of convenience built into react and uh aesthetic vibes and it is um there's a really cool blog post or it's like a github readme or something that somebody wrote oh oh this is someone like a core team member. It might be Sebastian, whatever the guy, like the React guy, mm -hmm. Sebastian Marcato or something like sure, that. I don't know. Might have been him. Somebody wrote like, "I'm a React core team member, and I have a hard time. Like, I need a way to mentally map the inner workings because the implement, the actual implementation, is so littered with like edge case fixes and browser things and all this crazy stuff." Like, I need to see the code at its most bare. And so they, like, literally walk you through creating React from the ground up. But, like, it's um, only going to work in New Chrome or whatever. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's not It's not actually working. It's still, right. it's kind of pseudocode. Uh-huh. But, um, but, yeah, so, I like, I, I thought that React did way less than it actually does. Mm -hmm. Like, it does all sorts of stuff with, like, Mem memoizing like oh yeah no that's everything yeah, yeah so that like no that no render happens that shouldn't happen and it handles like memoization in lists and it i don't know it handles all this crazy stuff and by the end of it you're like oh man like this is not simple functions that render you know virtual dom that gets dipped and patched like there's so much more <laughs> along the way yeah that has to happen that's the conceptual core but yeah so I mean, these are the things where it's like, you know that there are really smart people who just get snatched up by these large tech companies yeah. and never have like a public internet presence. Yep. You know, 
who never like go make open source projects or whatever they just like out of college just get like gobbled up by the maw of facebook and google and then go create genius things that you'll never see right yeah and it just so happened that facebook was like all right we're gonna let you see this one yeah right and so they were like here we unleashed we unleashed like a hundred of the smartest people in the universe and uh this is what you get that is so funny (laughs) you know i believe that to be true and it is crazy this is i mean this is more of a societal thing but like wouldn't the i don't know it is crazy that facebook just gets to do that and that silicon valley just gets to just like just like collect all the smartest people in the world and just not let the rest of the world have them except like when they choose to do something like react just or something make sure that they're like right like they're like use their powers for um for, for like damaging the collective yeah <laughs> like good <laughs> yeah exactly it is wild scoop up all the tech talent and then ruin society with them <laughs> yeah. it'll be great. that but we will release right. react <laughs> right it'll be cool yeah. yeah, there are some real. I mean, like, Dude, there's we're something all smart, to that. Caleb. We're all smart. You're smart. I'm smart. Everyone's smart. I don't know anybody who's dumb. That's not true. But I know some <laughs> real. I know some big dumb dumbs. But like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm dumb dumb number one I mean, one. Jitter, you're right. <laughs> J- jitterbug. Jitterbug. Uh huh. Um, What's his name? Jimbug. Jam, jam, jam buggy. Jimbug. Right. He, he just loves to blow leaf. <laughs> literally and figuratively is that smoke weed <laughs> well and also do leaf blowing oh but but yes both did what did you mean when you said it uh at first i meant leaf blowing but then i realized immediately <laughs> that it sounded like smoky weed and so dude I, blow leaf that's the best euphemism <laughs> the man loves to blow weed. leaf what can i say um but uh <laughs> But like in the in Blow our leaf. in our little community, we're all very yeah. smart. You know, we're all yeah. smart. But you just forget how yeah how dumb you are. Dumb you are compared to people who just were like snatched up off the market and are making three hundred grand a year, yeah. hanging out in a room at Facebook working on some little trivial thing. Yeah, but just like over engineering the hell out of it and making it amazing. It is really important to expose yourself to that world to recognize how much of an idiot you are and how much of like a joke like you there is don't tell me that okay use whatever words you want but the whole like uh computer scientists like they're you know we're all computer scientists i don't know whatever or like we're all engineers people being yeah i don't know no there's a difference here there's i so i just tried to read a paper on um tree diffing algorithms because i'm Uh like working on this morph dom thing and uh couldn't read it at all Mm -hmm. um there's a new level that i am not on Mm -hmm. and so dan abramov when pressed about or actually no in the documentation or so i don't know i feel like he wrote this somewhere so it must not be in the docs but something about like react's virtual dom algorithm they're like so typically and this is i think this is pretty old stuff because like we're all like obviously this is the algorithm you use everybody uses it and right. it's really simple but they're like you know typically to do a tree diff it's like big o notation like three or something so right, it's like right. or like three n so basically like it exponentially increases by a factor of three the more nodes you have in your tree right but so they the algorithm that react uses is big o n which is like it's just one n mm-hmm. um it just grows like linearly with uh-huh. your number of tree nodes whatever 
which is none of this is groundbreaking, but he references a paper. He's like, it's not, it's not big O three N like this paper. And I read through the paper by read through. I mean, I like scrolled through Mm -hmm. and was like, Oh my gosh, people like there's real computer scientists who like really stress hard about Mm -hmm. like, and they're just making JavaScript framework. Like, yeah, that, I there, mean, I that there's someone I, I who simultaneously the, has enough knowledge to read that paper and also has dedicated their life to making JavaScript framework is kind of wild. Yeah. You know, I, have you ever asked a scientist about something and had them tell you, I don't think you have the math for that answer? No, because that I is, don't ask scientists things, but I've asked like, I, I totally am with it. I yeah. asked a professor when I was in college, I asked a professor something and he kind of condescendingly told me I didn't have the math for the answer. Yeah. It was like for the, for the answer in its most fullest should be his answer. Yeah. But he just basically said, I don't think you have the math for that. Yep. And that was it. He didn't really I mean, like that's me. sort of what I'm coming across in physics, computer science, all these things. Like there's just a level that you have to know, like math beyond like basic algebra and calc, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, there's so many symbols. There's <laughs> a lot of symbols. Dude. So many symbols. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Yeah, we're all it's morons. It's really important here. to remember well, none that. Of us, like, <laughs> I don't know symbols. Everybody man. on this podcast who finished college, raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I'm dude, saying, dude. We're morons. <laughs> if I see an equation with an E in it, the series logo uh-huh. thing, well, like the E you, thing, you, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out, dude. If I see anything besides X and Y, uh-huh. I'm bouncing out. Yeah, it's rough. Big time. It's it rough. You know? I don't like Greek letters in my math. If there's Greek letters in my math, it's not happening. Yeah, it's, it's not, not happening. Ha- dude, we oh. are morons. Yeah, it's dude. important to, to recognize But we're that. morons with taste, and that's what the people like about us. Yeah. yeah. We're sort of an elevated breed of moron. I like to we've think got so like a, We've got kind of like a, an aesthetic vibe about us. Decol. Yeah. Oh, so or maybe decol. maybe we're just clowns for the people. Maybe, I think it's more we that. just keep like the village jesters. Like, yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. banging two rocks together, and they're <laughs> like, "Oh, look, they think they're doing programming." <laughs> oh, oh man, but that's the thing. I it's not good to wield the knowledge that there's this ridiculous gap between amongst programmers Uh it's not good to wield that knowledge around if you're in the position of power and belittle people no but it is so true that there is such a huge freaking gap amongst programmers like a programmer is not a programmer no way well and this is the thing like i think the thing that is used as a weapon often is that like you're too dumb to be like a professional working developer okay right yeah i would argue that 70 percent of the people if you gave me a year of 10 hours a week of their time i could turn them into a professional working developer right like anybody wait how much one year 10 hours a week. oh sure yeah yeah. wait who who's eligible for this any human any human i'm I'm not well no i'm not making this i'm not offering this i'm just saying i could (laughs) i'm not i'm not willing to but i could um but like anybody could become a professional developer right given the given the right tools you know i tools and time which i want to say yes to keep going with what you're saying but i also want to like explore 
the line because mm-hmm. like i don't think my mom could be a programmer in a year i'm gonna be straight up mom if you're listening i love you is she not gonna spend the 10 hours a week she's spending it she's spending 10 hours a week for a year yep and you don't think that she could become a professional programmer no way i am absolutely love my mom convinced. mom you're a saint i'm absolutely convinced your mom could get a junior dev job in a year if she spent 10 hours a week i mean maybe she could get the job i don't know man i don't know absolutely <laughs> i think there's like a level of of like technical familiarity right that's what the 10 hours a week is for i know but you know what i'm saying like okay what about my grandma who i had to teach yeah, how to no, click if you and she, don't like, know how to use a computer you can't become a programmer if you know how to use a computer that is a basic prerequisite you have to know how to use a computer you don't okay. have to be good at it though so like if my mom kind of struggles with like different windows and copying and pasting stuff that might that might be an issue <laughs> you need to be like baseline human like in the world 2020 using computers level right you need to be able you need to like yeah if you that, can go there through is the an, workflow there is of an like established like foundation of like you got to be good at you need to like know how to download stuff, a file unzip a file se- send something through dropbox you know how to take a screenshot all the things that normal human people do on computers who use computers all the time yep right people yes people yes. everyone knows how 100%. to do these things for the most part there are rare Not outliers everyone. of people rare, there are rare outliers of people who for Swats one reason people. or another opted not to get with the program when everyone else was and those people will probably not become programmers right okay um and like I'm sorry for derailing your thing sure 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 sure. what i'm saying is i'm with you anybody who can use a computer like a normal person uses a computer in 2020 right like do the basic operations of having a computer all the yes. thing, all the reasons that would lead you to purchase a computer in the first place if you can use like if you can do all the computer stuff and if you're familiar with like Microsoft Office suite. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. let's just say this. Let's just say if you have a job that you do on a computer right now. Yep. Right? Like whether that is just sending emails or being, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. I'm with it. But if you have yeah. those basic professional computer skills that, you know, then you're good. Yep. With 10 hours a week for a year you could become a program yeah okay it's amazing how long we had to talk for that one so throwaway <laughs> half of a sentence this is like what i asked you about the angle in your camera um <laughs> but 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 um so yeah i think that anybody could become a, a regular working developer under those conditions the thing that we're talking about is the difference between you and i who are have been professional programmers for a long time. Don't lump me with you, Daniel. Yeah, but I will here. You and I and everybody we know, basically, who have been professional programmers for a long time and are really good at making crud apps, you know? <laughs> and like, you know... I'm not that good at it. We're, fun, we're as good as a person needs to be at it, you know? Like, there's there's no... We've reached the point of diminishing returns where it's like, how much better could I really get I only get at know this? how to write a belongs to and it has many eloquent relationships. Uh, my so. whole thing is update or create. So I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, I do everything with update or create. That's too much for me. <laughs> yeah. 
You give me some attributes, I will update or create them. <laughs> um, I'll put all the attributes in the first But it's just parameter. insane how much people know. Some people. Okay. It's just, yes. Wow. Yes. I, yes, the, yes. Honestly, Caleb, the momentum of the point I was trying to make has been completely derailed <laughs> so by the lost. argument about how long it's it can so take gone. one people to become a programmer <laughs> that I don't even want to finish making the point. <laughs> Because Please, ban Please. At this point, it, it sounds like I'm just saying nothing. I was <laughs> saying something. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait. But what about my mom, though? <laughs> oh. Um. Yeah, good point, Daniel. Yeah, thanks, bud. Appreciate you. Good point, good point, good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, developers, man. Mm. Developers, developers, developers. No, it's so true, though. Oh, it's so true. It's just so true. But you know what I also is the antidote to that thinking? Like, I, I'm i looking at, um, uh, what's his name? Evan used the new uh, reactivity core in uh-huh. Vue 3. And I'm just reading through it. And, like, I built a reactivity core for Alpine a while ago. Mm-hmm. It's We're off of it now because it's too much for me. Um, but... I'm looking through his and I'm just like, I had this just overwhelming feeling of like this guy, like this freaking guy, he has the mental brain power and energy to do this amongst everything else. Like he has the brain power to write a reactivity core that like you can observe changes to an object with like proxies and everything that doesn't backfire with like recursive, you know, like us, uh, whatever those psych, whatever self-referencing things Mm -hmm. um all sort that handles every type of thing like array node list everything it's Mm -hmm. ridiculous Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay yeah i'm a complete idiot let's leave this kind of stuff to this kind of person then i started rewriting morph dom and i and that's the thing is like once you get a little exposure to some subject matter everyone around everyone in that area doesn't quite seem as like unreachably smart anymore yes that is the antidote to this thinking is that it's like a surprise your brain tells you it's so much farther away than it actually is well and this is the thing that i think makes people smart is actually like how many different subject matters can you have like a pretty deep knowledge in yeah you know and like for some people they all need to be subject matters that are like close together or like tightly tightly grouped and yep. those people are extremely powerful in certain areas. Then there's like, you get your polymaths who are like, hey, I'm like a virtuoso violinist and also like insanely good at beach volleyball, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, like that's a different, that's a different type of like thing where it's like you've, you just started in two places and worked these two different skill trees, you know? Yep. But uh, it is, it's just insane. And, I'm thinking a lot about like, so I'm actually at the point. So this, let me tell you really briefly, mm-hmm. this morph dom rewrite, it's called spark dom. Mm-hmm. And to get to like MVP took me like no time at all. Yeah. And I was a really smart boy and it's so much cleaner than morph dom. And I think I was bragging about it on the last podcast, but um, then I started to have to do like actual hard things, like make it work with keys and also make it work with like look aheads and basically keys and look aheads is when everything fell apart. 
and it just becomes so like I got so close to actually I used it in my local version of Livewire and got all the tests to pass except for two. And basically the one is not that big of a deal, but the one test to get that one test to pass this one test case in Livewire sent me like rewriting most of it. What is and the test again, case? You really want to know? Just just tell me the name of the test method. Um it's like can use like okay like morph dom list look ahead works with intermediate keys that's basically it so if you have like wire key within the list and you're using the look ahead Mm -hmm. like it needs to not like a key system works and the look ahead system works but working together doesn't work and that's what i have to figure out and basically thank god you wrote that test or you would have merged this thing (laughs) i know (laughs) Um, no, I'm, I mean, it's going to be a while. Yeah. I'm, this is going to be a, a well-tested thing before I'm not, I think I'm going to put this in a non-major release, mm-hmm. but I'm going to like ask every peasant off the street to test this in their apps. Um, Daniel. Yes. So I'm rewrite, you know, I'm like ripping this all apart right before this call actually, but I'm at that point right now. I have two things to say. One thing I think is fun is like you build machines in your brain like this is how it works you build the logic you're coding you build it in your brain Mm -hmm. and it's just crazy that like you have all of these programs in your brain and your brain is a runtime like it knows Mm -hmm. how to run code it's crazy but it's like loosey-goosey about it you know it's just logic yeah your brain knows how to run logic but you can like abstract the logic like you, you create these like logical neurological pathways and then you don't have to try hard right you can just kind of like let your brain program like run through something. Right. But then you hit the walls where you can't keep it in your brain. You can't construct the machine because it's too much. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at right now. Well, and that's when you get your piece of paper out. Or you just need to build smaller pieces. That's the other thing. It's like you. C- I'm thinking of because recursive stuff. if you have stuff. like a bunch of small machines that are all already programmed into mm, your brain, okay. you can then make a larger machine out of those machines, right? And so yes. this is the like classic. You don't have the math for that situation. It's like you just need to build the smaller machine that lets you build the larger machine, right? Yeah. And like the yep. math is one of those dependencies, right? Like knowing algebra or knowing, you know. Uh, whatever linear algebra or whatever it is that you need to know in a certain to talk about something yeah it's just like you're not going to be able to hold this all in your brain because you haven't already compartmentalized these little programs of like math yep yes definitely i think there's there's two things there yes and i think that's partially my problem here is that yeah i don't know it's hard to describe but the other thing that I think is interesting, like recursion, mm-hmm. I remember when I like first had to write a recursive function, how hard it was for me. Just to understand and, the idea of recursion, yeah. Well, like you can, it's easy to understand, I think. You know what I mean? To, like, it's hard to see what the effects will be. Yeah, it's really hard to, to create the machine in your brain for that recursive mm-hmm. function. And then you write enough recursive things and then you get better at it. Like I'm like, now I'm comfortable with it mm-hmm. and I, I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Um. And now I've created a new type of machine, you know, like you create these little abstractions Mm -hmm. and that's how you like level up, I think. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge part of 
the process, you know? For sure. Well, it's like if you, like, let's say you grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, right? Yeah. Um, and then you move to Vienna, right? And like, yeah. you're like, oh, there's streets that are water and there's boats. And like, I've lived in the desert my entire life. And so like, I don't have these skills to like take a boat to the store. You know, like I'm not yeah. good at that. Um, like I'm used to being able to just walk down the street, but in this neighborhood, the street is water. Um, yeah. That like you would be bad at a bunch of things. You wouldn't be good at parking the boat at the store. You know, you wouldn't be good at all the things. But like once you've lived in that environment long enough, like the way that you navigate the environment, like just becomes natural and becomes added to your arsenal. But you go back to Phoenix, you're still going to be fine at walking to the store, you know, or driving your car or whatever. Um, And I think that's kind of it is like you have put yourself in a tree environment by becoming a guy who deals with the dom all the time. Right. You're you're very good at navigating a tree, you know, like up and down and sideways and siblings and parents and stuff. Yes. And recursion is like is one of these little just it's just a little move you do like back in your boat out of your slip you yeah. know it's just one of these little moves that's like if you live in a world of trees you will do recursion yeah. you know and so by living in a world of trees you've just had to become extremely comfortable with recursion because that's just how you get around yeah dude this is this is all to the end of this is to say that like this is just we're all super dumb Except about can the all things be that we're really, really smart, smart. Yeah. Yeah. And really fast. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember when I was writing, I probably talked about this before, but when I wrote the first Dom Walker for Livewire, when I need, when I was building Livewire and I had to write a Dom Walker and it was a huge feat for me. Like I did exactly what I'm doing right now. I pulled out a sheet of paper and I wrote out the thing and it took me forever and it took me like a weekend yeah. to wrap my head around this, which is so dumb. And then I looked at somebody else's implementation and was like, oh, that's like ridiculously simple. And I'll just do that. And now that's in my brain and I can easily just pull out that, that like, um, you know, that shape of thing. Yeah. Well, it's whenever like, you need that. What's really and interesting that's is the like, process. Like, you know, the move that you do when you're like wrapping up like a guitar quarter inch cable or like an yeah. extension cord, like the little the, like, like over under twist. Over. Yeah. That is such a weird, that's one of those things in the real physical Wait, world. Wait, do you mean the like you like holding with like an overhand and then you kind of scoop under? Or it's just like, like it's twist like, as you bring it forward. Yeah, so you, you alternate. So the first one you don't twist, then the second one you twist, and then the third one you gotcha, don't twist, okay. then the fourth one you twist. Yes. In yeah, order yeah. to not get like a twist in your cable. Yeah. Um, and so it's like an over and then an under. Hold on. So like there's two ways to wrap cables I know. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them is what you're talking about. And I think the other one is the anti. And I thought it was. So you'll have to teach me. Okay. Cause like, so you hold your cable uh, sort of dangling from your like little monkey's paw of a hand, right? So like you're, you've got the end of your cable yeah. in your right hand, right? Yeah. And then you've got the whole length of cable coming out the, the front of your hand. Yeah. Right? And so then you grab the cable and you just, the first one, you just kind of do a natural loop and you set it back in your hand. Yep. Right? Then you reach your front hand forward, grab the same length of cable that you grabbed the first loop. Yep. And then this time you come, but instead of just placing it directly into your hand, 
you do a twist, and then you place it into your hand. What do you mean by a twist? Uh, like you roll the cable between your fingers gotcha. to get... Which direction? Uh, a, you pull the top of the cable towards you. And this is... And then this is, you'll see and that... And it the, feels settled? Yes. Okay, yes. And okay. then the cable... So what's actually happening is that the first time you're crossing the cable in front of itself, and the second time okay. you're crossing the cable behind itself. So you go in front, behind, in front, behind, in front, behind, each layer. I'm going to have to map this out. I'm going to have to try this out. I don't and think I that, that is how you don't kink up your cables and make them all twisty and bad. Word. Um, anyway, it's one of these things that like one, one like crotchety old guitar guy shows you this one time, right? Like when you're an 11 year old yeah. kid, like playing a guitar, uh, you go to like put away a cable and you start yeah. like wrapping it around your arm. Yeah. Like, yes, yes. like you do when you don't know what you're doing. Yep. And someone goes, hey, 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 don't do that. That's not how you do that. Here's yep. how you do that. And he shows you. And his cable is like this beautiful little loop of cable. And yours looks like a, a bird's nest. Right? And you're like, yep. oh, my God, teach me that. So then you learn that. Now the rest of your life, you just know that. Right? And you can just, <laughs> you might go two years without wrapping up a cable. Yeah, but like as soon as someone hands you a cable to wrap up, you're like, "Back in the saddle, baby, let's go." <laughs> you know, dude, this is one of our parallel lives things. I had he wasn't a crotchety guy, but whatever, a, like an audio guy. Yeah. Oh no, everyone. Like doing everyone meets sound one with as a like child. did the exact thing. Yeah, he's like, "Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up." Yeah, yeah. But the way he showed me was a little bit different. There's like an underscoop, but it's sort of along the same lines. And his reasoning to me was that you could just throw the cable and it'll unravel. Yeah, that's true too. That was like his, that's what I lodged in my brain. It's like, oh, you do that so you can just chuck it and it just unravels freely. Anyway, mm -hmm. but yes, so I get you. Yeah, but I don't do it when I, un when I wrap up cables, which is uh, maybe like. Do you have, you have like a 50 about. foot extension cord somewhere in your house? Yeah, and I, I do bad things. Oh. I do better than just wrapping it around my arm. Well, that's good. That's but good. But anyway, but I, yeah, okay. Anyway. Okay, Deke. But yeah, it's just wrapping cables, bro. Word. Um, well, we got to finish out this next six minutes here. Cause well, it's, well, it's six minutes and 20 seconds, yeah. Yeah. Although, how long's the intro music? Do we know? Oh, it's not long. Not long. Bump, bana. Hang on, let's time it. Hang on. Bump, bana. <laughs> But I don't know how many times it and goes. Do I. <laughs> I know the tempo though. I got that. Um, word. Word, 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 word. So how's your life outside of programming, Caleb? What else are you doing? What I caught a fish yesterday. What? You fish, of course. I caught a fish yesterday. You caught yeah. one. Jeez. Just like big. Let me uh, show you really quick Jeez. while we're on so you can describe it um, to the user. Whoa. Hang on. So, what do you have open in your browser? What? Oh, the Open your browser game? again. Wait, let me show you the fish, and then I want to talk kittens. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You discovered you discovered clicker games. So this is the fish. Uh huh. What do you think? It looks beautiful. Look at those colors. Yeah. It looks like it was it dragged through tasty. the mud. Those are but tasty uh, colors. Yeah, it's like a it's like spawning colors, so they're like not really silvery right nice, now. Nice, nice, nice. Anyway, it's got that hook jaw, Ooh, that male hook you jaw. You love it's that like hook jaw. Old, 
Yeah, it means it's like a beast fish. So anyway, yeah, I caught that yesterday, which is really nice. Hell yeah. Um, okay, Caleb. And so you are playing uh, Kitten's Game, which is for the listener is a clicker game. Um, yes, we need to talk about this, Daniel. Have you ever played Universal Paperclip? Because I tweeted this, yes. Because you tweeted this, people have sent you to... I to, tweeted the kitten thing. People's like showed me the world of these types of games. And Universal Paperclip is like the... like Universal yeah. Paperclip is the like the reference by which all other clicker games are referenced. I gathered that because that had the most replies. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing. I love clicker games. They're so cool. So much fun, man. Oh my gosh, they're fun. Yeah. Um, so there is a category of games that you might enjoy um, that actually have like graphics, unlike this game, right? Okay. That are uh, like factory management games. Okay. Um, and the most probably popular one is called Factorio. Um, okay. And it is a top-down view of a factory. And so you get a machine that pumps, oh, that mines boy. ore. Right, and then you pump the ore using conveyor belts into a machine that smelts it Fun. into bars, and then those bars you can turn into parts, and then those parts you can turn into other machines, and you can get a factory oh, that is like. Anyway, that's Factorio. There's another one which I've been, which I have played, um, which is actually like 3D, and you run around. Factorio is just like top down, like right. kind of pixel graphics, um. This one's actually like a 3D beautiful game. Um, I forget the name of it is the thing about it. Dude, bro. Um, actually, let me just look it up because we can't do that to the user or the listener. Yeah, or your... Yeah, uh, so I would never do that. Um, but that game is fun. called... It's probably only on New Window. Thank you. Um, is this Factorio thing like... How do you use this? Is it computer? Uh yeah, it's a PC game. I, I don't know if there is a version for Mac or not. All right, so the um the game that I am thinking of is called. Okay, this is the game. Satisfactory. Satisfactory is the game that I really really love. Um, if you want to get a picture for like how crazy satisfactory is, go. There's a YouTube channel called Let's Game It Out, which is this guy named Josh, um, and he takes games and breaks them. He'll just do some of the craziest stuff. Oh. Like he really enjoys getting great getting games. Oops, sorry, everybody. He really enjoys getting games to, down to like one FPS. You know? <laughs> oh, like just I don't know, like just doing, doing the craziest doing building, ridiculous the things, things you can and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. And so Satisfactory is a really good game for that because okay. he basically made like an absolute rat's nest of like conveyor belts and stuff just to like see how bad he could break the game. Um, and like there's some like tubes that you can use to like to like you can create like a hydraulic system for parts and stuff to move them around quickly. Um, so he built a hydraulic system that he could shoot himself through. And he fired himself directly into the map to see if he could clip through the map. And he was able to do that. He's just like... Oh, really? Yeah. But he's got like, I think, five videos of him playing Satisfactory. And that's what made me buy the game, was watching him play it. I was like, oh my God, this game looks amazing. 
Is it super fun? It's so fun. I've probably Have got, you played it? Yeah, I probably put about 30 hours into my world okay. and then I quit. PC only? I think so. I don't Dude, know. Dude, what's the deal with this? You know what the issue is? I'm like not a PC gamer. I don't own a PC. Sure. And uh, I have an Xbox. And so like my PC gamer friends, like they're playing war or something. So it's, I don't know that you like fly planes and tanks and whatnot. I don't know. It's an indie game. And anyway, so I'm like, oh, cool. This is cross platform. It's available for the Xbox. No, it's not. You can play it, but it's a PC game. Yeah. You know, like you can like use a mouse at certain points. You have to use a mouse in the menu mm-hmm. with your controller. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just so disheartening, you know? Yeah. Like, what's up with that? I mean, consoles are consoles, you know? Like, so frustrating. That's why I bought a PC, is because it's just be- it's a better world. They should come with a disclaimer. Games that, that like, game aren't, consoles like, should let you know that <laughs> you could have just bought a PC. <laughs> <laughs> no, the games that they port. I'm with you. Oh, yeah. But the game, those ports, like, it should be like, this is a port. You probably aren't going to like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you uh like playing um stardew valley on the nintendo switch which is fun but mm-hmm. it, you know it's like <gasps> Ooh, dude you know what we've been playing on the switch in my house what's that diablo 3 how's that the co-op mode is actually like so really fun. i have like, been wanting a game for a long time that charlotte and i could play together same we just Here. started borderlands 3 oh does that have co-op co-op yeah, is it like co-op, split screen totally. co-op or together co-op? Yeah, split screen. See, I hate split screen co-op in all games. Oh. I wanted a game where it's like it's co-op, but it's not split screen. Cool, yeah. You know? Me too. Um, Like Lego Indiana Jones. <laughs> so Diablo 3 on the Switch is co-op and not split screen. And I wanted a game that Charlotte and I could play together that was a real game. Yeah. Not right. a toy. Same. Right? Dude, I wanted with a, you. a game where it's like we can be good at this game. You know, it'll be hard sometimes. Yeah. So here's the deal. I'm much better at video games than my wife is. No, no, you know, nothing on her. It's just like I've dedicated a lot of time to being this good at video games. Um, Diablo is great because I can play a tanky class where I like get the aggro of all the monsters and I'm taking all the damage. Yeah, and she's playing a ranged DPS class where she's kind of out on the outside, not taking a lot of damage. So I can basically like hard carry, um, and it's super hard for me. And she is like taking less damage, but it's hard for her because she's like not as good at games naturally as I am, right? Right. And so together, we're both sort of experiencing the same level of difficulty, the same joy of winning. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a very hard thing to nail, like a co-op experience like that, where you're not just going to drown one person out if the other person's better or bore the person who's like better. So anyway, we've been having a lot of fun with Diablo 3. Dude, I'm going to have to try that. Borderlands is like that and you share stuff, like everything is shared. You can, you can set the mode if you want to share or not, but we share. So, and you just respawn if you die. So it's like, it's it's really third person shooter, right? Or is it first person? It is first person. Okay. How is uh how is Hannah with the first person shooter controls? She's pretty good. She's she good she now? plays like Call of Duty and whatnot. Oh, she's, she does. Yeah, but she's like she's not as good as me. She's probably like I don't know. But like we play Call of Duty and I crush her most of the time, mm-hmm. but sometimes she does about as good as me. Okay. Um but a really satisfying moment for me 
was uh, my brother lives in Denver. We play Call of Duty sometimes for a while. We were playing it a lot. Um, and my buddy Mitch, you know Mitch, he went I out do. to Denver. So this is like a month ago. We all get on Xbox and it's me, Hannah, Mitch, my brother, and then our friends, our other friends, whatever. That's we're fun. all playing. And Hannah crushes Mitch and Brock. Hey. Like it was so satisfying just hey. like cute little hannah mm-hmm. like just, just pwning noobs it's just yeah it was yeah, awesome that's great um so yeah so she's actually like she plays a decent amount of video games uh-huh. uh and she's she's like good enough you know yep so so which is really fun Hell yeah. and but there's this this vacancy of good couch co-op experiences yeah it is for couples like yeah. why why is Diablo this not addressed honestly is like one of the best co-op experiences i've had ever cool because i hate split screen is such a split screen sucks diablo 3 but it's because it's a top it's like a 2.5d game you know it's like a 3d top down game so Mm. because the camera is fixed work it works you know what i'm saying and there is a weird thing game like where like if i run in one direction and she runs in the other direction yeah eventually we'll hit the edge of the camera you know and yep. the camera won't know who to follow. And yep. so one of us will get teleported to the other one. So that's like, oh, the, okay. that's the only like constraint that you have in, yeah. in co-op is like, you can't like run off the screen okay, or it will teleport not, the other person. That's not bad. That's, and as uh, long as you're generally going in the same direction, it never becomes an issue. Sweet. The Lego games, they, um, they just like it's same it's shared screen until one goes off mm-hmm. and then it becomes split screen which is pretty cool. oh that's smart yeah it's really nice but it can also get a little confusing sometimes yeah um but daniel yeah diablo looks pretty cool i had a friend who was super into diablo and i didn't get it so i, I have never played another was. diablo game and i've heard from diablo purists that diablo 3 is actually trash and that it's a completely okay. different team that developed it than developed the other Diablo games. But Diablo 4 okay. has been announced, and they're getting back the old team that made Diablo 2, and everyone's very happy okay. about that. Okay. All right, so we're going to have to play this game. Yeah, it's pretty good. Also, you can play with four people. Like, I see that. Can Char- you play online? Yeah, like Charlotte and I and you and Hannah could all play together. No way. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Okay. 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 okay anyway um yeah what's that we, put we us blew at? past those six minutes three hours yeah four and a half hours and 17 minutes all right you ready to shut her down Dude, let's shut her down just go ahead and cue that intro music for me how about the outro music nope okay I won't have it. got it and <laughs> go go